Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, Your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part? It's completely free. A token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport or simply visit the SportMind Hub by googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello everyone out there and I hope this finds you well and living your best life, whatever that may look like. I'm delighted to have on the show today, Hazel Finlay. It's safe to say Hazel is a bit of a living legend and I feel so lucky to have had this chat with her today and some of the really deep and powerful insights she shares in regard to the mind and in particular around the concept of fear. We go deep into the subject of fear and she is perfectly placed to talk about it. Since the talk, I've been reflecting deeply about what she shared and her philosophies on life, status, failure, validation and what success really means and looks like. We talk a lot about the inner voice and how reframing is a key tool to help overcome fear in the moment. We also discuss how to work on the mind before events and how this looks in normal day-to-day settings. Hazel is a world-class climber, and as a junior, she won the British title six times. Quite incredible, really. She's a full-time climber and is able to now pursue her passion of climbing in some of the most beautiful, exotic, and actually really dangerous locations the world has to offer. Recently, she partnered up with Alex Honnold from Free Solo Fame for a six-week intensive climb around Greenland, helping scientists track and collect data in some of the world's most remote and difficult places to access. We talk about this towards the end of the podcast, so be sure to stick around to hear her amazing stories about this. Hazel is not only a world-class climber, but also a mental training coach running her own business called StrongMind. She helps individuals and teams overcome adversity and gets people to become mentally stronger with the experiences that she has had and the tools she uses in order to make this happen. You will come away today with some of these insights and I'm excited for you to hear them. I know there will be plenty of amazing content in this chat that will resonate with people in all walks of life. So I hope you enjoy and come away feeling a lot clearer and more knowledgeable about the mind and also to have tools to help become the best version of yourself starting today right here and right now. So sit back, enjoy, open your mind, and please welcome Hazel Finlay. Hazel Finlay, welcome to the next episode of the podcast. It's really, really glad to have you here today. And I know we've been trying to get back and forward on this. And yeah, I'm I'm super, super chuffed to have you. So thanks for coming on. And um, I think a good place to start, though, um, for those that may not have come across you, and I don't think that's maybe a big demographic, would you be able to uh, give a brief introduction to yourself and some of the work that you're doing? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I'm a professional rock climber first, really. Uh, I've been climbing since I was about six, and I'm 33 now. And I suppose I'm best known for maybe slightly more adventurous styles of climbing, um, kinds of climbing where you need to like have a strong mind and and be resilient and that kind of thing. Um, but really, I'm actually into all kinds of climbing, like mm-hmm. you know everything from indoor bouldering to like like stuff in alpine environments, you know. But it's mostly rock climbing, I would say, you know, rather than say mountaineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I've been a professional climber for about well, getting on for 15 years now, I would say. Oh no, maybe a bit less, 13. Mm-hmm. And um, 
about seven years ago, I started coaching mental training. So I became a coach and um, learned a lot about performance psychology um, and fear management. And so I, I predominantly help climbers manage fear in climbing. Um, but that doesn't have to be climbing specific fears like fear of heights and fear of falling. It's also stuff like fear of failure, performance anxiety, um, issues around self-worth, like becoming too outcome focused, um, problems with distraction in performance, that kind of thing. Uh, and then this year I started a company to try to expand that. So I was predominantly just working on my own in the past, but now I'm kind of like, um, trying to form a team around it. And, um, yeah, it's been going really well. I've been really busy, really, really busy this year. Um, but yeah, it feels nice to expand it because I think it's something that's sort of it's missing in climbing a little bit. You know, we do we maybe more into it than other sports, actually, especially considering how niche our sport is. Um, but yeah, there's definitely more space for people to be interested in psychology and have put more attention on that part of their performance and experience mm. um, rather than just, you know, the standard, which is to focus on physical training. Yeah, 100%. And, and listen, I think um, I the reason I kind of came across your work, um, I, I coach quite a few climbers and, and we've got a decent climbing place at our centre. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, listen, there's this, this amazing person called Hazel and she's set up this company, Strong Mind, and it's all about resilience, mental toughness, fear. And instantly I was like, right, yes, this is my bag. This is because, <laughs> again, during COVID especially, I couldn't coach. I was unable to get on court and coach. So what I started doing was trying to help players with the mental side, you know, like getting some strong habits and behaviors. Let's get a bit of mindfulness and visualization. And that then spawned something bigger. And yeah, really happy to hear that it's going well for you and that whole, the mental coaching side, I think is becoming so much more accepted and, and spoken about and, and actually the understanding for performance is really big on that mental side. So um, yeah, I think, I think as soon as I kind of saw your work and research, I was like, yes, this is definitely a conversation that we should have. And especially fear, fear sounds like it's a massive part of, of what you do and you've already mentioned it. And I know we're going to go down some really interesting rabbit holes today on that subject. So I think that could be a cool place to kick off Um, the word fear. You talk about it, you, you write a lot about it. Um, what, what, like, you know, where, where do you want to start with fear? Is it about the definition of fear? I've got a few little strands I'll pick on as we go, but um, why, why has fear become such a big part of your life? Ah, I mean, ever, you know, ever since I started climbing as a kid, it was the sort of the, the scary aspects of climbing that, um, that were the most challenging. You know, it's sort of, you know, climbing is a very complex physical sport. You know, there's there's complex movement. And I really love that part about climbing as well. I really love the problem solving of the physical movement. But when, even when you're quite safe, te- you know, uh, it's funny, you know, if you don't climb, but usually climbing is actually quite safe. Like it's a lot safer than mountain biking, for example, okay. most of the time. Okay. There's a lot, there's, there's forms of climbing, which aren't, you know, and the consequences are way higher. Um, but a lot of the climbing that most people do is, I would say is quite a lot safer than mountain biking, skateboarding, a bunch of these other sports that you might think were safer. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's something really primal about being on the edge of a cliff face. Um, and there's something that really triggers a, I think, you know, we've only got a few innate fears. There's a bit of debate in the, in the research, but I think the two that are like kind of, we don't debate about are fear of edges and fear of loud noises. So they do these studies with babies where, you know, the loud noises they really don't like and then also if you get like a baby and you put them on a fake edge you know where there's like a glass drop or whatever they're also scared of that and so they can tell then that these fears are not learned from society they're actually somewhat innate right if it's happening in in a child so young so yeah there's just something that there's something just very scary about climbing it's it's something that 
is very uncomfortable to most people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I experienced that from a really young age and kind of had to manage that from a really young age. And it's some, sometimes it was really hard. Like I went through this phase when I was a teenager, I think, you know, your hormones are changing and stuff where I was more interested in field hockey uh, than climbing because it was just a bit too much for me. You know, it was just quite mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Like even, even indoor climbing, I found scary and, okay. um, but it's also the thing that keeps bringing me back, I think, because it's just so interesting, like rising to that challenge of being uncomfortable and kind of facing some of those more primal fears and learning how to manage them in, this, in, this, in a measured and an intelligent way. Mm-hmm. I just think is an extremely interesting thing about climbing. Yeah. Um, but then there's other fears as well. Exactly. And I think what's interesting about the, 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 the other fears, like fear of failure and that kind of thing, is that those social fears are actually also quite primal. They're just more complex, mm-hmm. especially in, in a modern environment mm-hmm. uh, where we have things like social media and stuff like that. Mm. And, and I love like that, 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 almost like the path that you've taken, obviously the, 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 the physical fear of that initial climbing and then how you've how you've like it's it's expanded off the fear of success, failure, validation, um, fear of of all these things that we're going to talk about today, and it's quite interesting what you said about you know as as a child we have the innate fear of of the loud noises and the fear of the maybe the edges, and what I'm hearing is you know as adults I don't think we fear loud noises. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we can we 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 train well, them Mark, what do you think? Well, it's not it's yeah it's a different type of fear, um, but you know say for example and this is what's interesting about when you start to look at like the neuroscience of it but if I were to hear a really loud noise now I would get a stress response it would just wouldn't have any kind of latency around it because a loud noise is so fast and as soon as you can attribute it to something that's not dangerous then that stress response lowers Mm. but you, we do still get that stress response from loud noises. And like, if you've been in an environment where the loud noises can be, so, so for example, if you live somewhere really dangerous where gunshots, as you know, gunshots are, or you've ever been in a war zone or like as a climber, um, rockfall, the noise associated with rockfall, like tr- triggers quite um, a big stress response. So I do think we so- do somewhat have that still. It's just, it is a bit of a different one because, mm-hmm. So quickly you can think, oh yeah, that's safe. Mm. And yeah, maybe, maybe then there's the, the like as it happens in the rational mind can take over very quickly and kind of piece it together. I actually was a loud noise off in the distance. It's not affecting me right here now, but that yeah, that makes complete sense. That initial response and is that from again? I'm, you sound like you like the neuroscience side of things. I love that side. The amygdala, the fear center. Um, you know that part of the brain. You know, can 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 you train that? Can you retrain that? Can you reframe that? You, you can never get rid of it, can you? What, what's your thoughts about the that 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 neuroscience part then? Yeah, I mean it's really complex, and I don't, I don't, I have, I've studied a bit. I'm actually doing a master's in neuroscience and psychology at the moment. Okay. But you know, when you you start studying something and you realize actually you'll never understand it, you know, it's a bit like that. Like yeah. it, it's you know, I think we know more about the surface of the moon and the bottom of the ocean than we do about the human mind. It's um, we're just we're just so far away from being able to say things like okay. Uh, the amygdala does exactly this when you're afraid and you know we, we know bits and pieces but I think it's this um it's called the HPA axis the um hypothalamus pituitary um adrenal axis maybe I might have got that wrong um but that's the axis that's kind of like responsible for um fear acquisition okay. um so yeah the amygdala kind of like it is is really big in processing um fear responses um but then i think the sort of the way we learn fear is it's not just happening in the amygdala there's a lot more going on and there's various inputs and outputs so like an input obviously is like you could be like the your um like the circumstance what's happening but it's also all your memories as well so that's why a loud noise is going to trigger a a bigger stress response in someone who'd say been in Afghanistan or whatever Mm -hmm. and had associated loud noises with dangerous things happening Um, so your, your memories and your previous experiences really weigh into how your mind processes something that's happening and 
and then basically your mind decides okay should I um output a a stress response and what does that stress response look like Mm -hmm. and I think what's interesting from a sport perspective is that it's not just that fear and stress response is not always negative it's not always a we need to get out of here this is really horrible it could also it can also become output uh, the dopaminergic system Mm -hmm. which is more associated with like reward and pleasure and stuff which is why some types of stress and um uh, which we might call more like excitement, but it's mm-hmm. still got like that hallmarks of increased, it is an increased stress response still, yeah. but we consider that to be more good stress or what we call eustress rather than distress. Mm-hmm. And um, these sorts of um, outputs actually um, like reinforce that behavior. And you see that a lot quite in people who are like adrenaline seekers, you know, people who love roller coasters, for example, they just want to keep doing that thing again, mm-hmm. even though actually they're getting quite a high stress response associated mm-hmm. with it. Yeah, like I, I love all those areas, the, the U stress, and and again, a very simplistic, you know, that um, inverted U of optimal performance, you know, where, where that yeah. kind of, you need a little bit of pressure. And actually, the rising of that pressure gets you to that little peak, but then there's the tipping of the other, which way, like, can you, like, when it obviously goes up, and everyone's peak is a little bit different, isn't it? Like, what, what pressure is to me is different to you, is different to anyone else. And then it, it goes back into, I suppose, is where, where I, I love to do the research is, um, is the inner voice, the stories we tell ourselves, the mm-hmm. reframing. I, I, I get really passionate about that side of things because we can't stop initially the thoughts and emotions arising. But it's like, do we get behind the energy of those thoughts and emotions or do we look to reframe them? And, and yeah, I, I really love that kind of that side of things. So um, bringing it back back to sport, you know, just mentioning there. Um, personally, I always I think I understood it a little bit when I was a, a pro player, but the, the the fear of winning and success. You know, I think sometimes I fell into that trap, but I didn't quite understand it. But if I ask you, who's who's looked at this quite a bit, um, can you talk about the fear of winning and success? What this means to you, what this looks like? Well, do you mean more the fear of fail, failing or no, actually the fear of winning? I think or do you not mean the fear of, of not winning? Most yeah, no, people won't want to win, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's, 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 what's, what's that kind of statement? It's kind of like the, um, you're almost scared to succeed. You're almost scared to, you know, kind of the, because of, I don't know, the consequences of winning. I know it sounds weird. It's almost the exact opposite mm. of fear of failure. It's, it's the fear of success and winning. Um, and, and you, you've come across that and have you spoken about that? Yeah, I, I don't, I've not come across it as much. I mean, it, for me, when in my coaching, there's been a bit of that that's cropped up, but it's it's hard to say if it's exactly the fear of winning or it's the, or it's a, it's a, it's a strange manifestation it of is. fear of failure. Yeah. Because could, if you win, of, hmm. then it's the pressure to, you have to do it again. It's the pressure that the, the, you then, um, you know, people expect expect that of you time and time again. Totally. Um, it's the pressure that you then need to keep it up. Um, I personally don't really experience this. I haven't experienced it much personally, but I see it um like in some perfectionist personalities and that kind of thing. Um, but fear of failure is what I see way more of. Yeah. And that's where we're going to yeah. dive in. I know I've got to kind of bring you into kind of a, it's a, <laughs> it's a murky territory, the fear of winning. And I'll give you a quick mm-hmm. example to maybe paint because, because when I was growing up, I was like kind of the best player of my junior age and was, and, and like in my region. And then all of a sudden when I went into the big pond, it was like, Ooh, okay. Like I'm going to be exposed now. And it was, it was a little bit of the fear of doing so well in my environment I was like, actually, if I had done worse, I know it sounds really weird, but if I'd done worse, actually, I think I might've been able to handle the outside stuff a little bit bigger. I think I got used to winning and mm-hmm. used to success. And that became quite a fear in itself because I was like, oh yeah, like you said, the expectations on myself, the expectations of others, the the, the, the conversations people would be having going, oh yeah, like, you, you know, you're going to crush it out there now. And I'm like going, actually, I kind of wish you hadn't said that. So yeah, it was, it was always a bit of a, I could never quite pinpoint where it was but maybe it was something along those lines but uh, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah it's a tricky path that one um but yes let's 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 flip it so fear of fear of failure fear of losing fear of coming up short when you're trying something um what, what what's on your mind when i ask that yeah i think i think for me i've been i've been thinking quite a bit about quite a lot about this recently but 
I think we really underestimate how social we are as creatures, you know, and how much our sense of safety and comfort is dependent on what our tribe thinks of us, you know, and our tribe now can be the people who follow us on social media or our peers or the, our fellow competitors or all the people who support us um, as a competitor or a professional athlete or, or, or whatever, you know, or it can even just be your friendship group that you do your sport with. Like they're the people's opinions that you care about most. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense I think that we have, and, you know, I'm sure that like um, sociologists and psychologists have, have researched this a lot, but, uh, you know, no one wants to be the weakest member of the tribe. No one wants to um, be the one to to be the worst person, to be the least valuable person, right? right. We want to be valued um, by society, by our fellow humans. And I think that how that manifests itself is actually through status, um, and there's a really cool podcast out at the moment and a book. Um, I've forgotten the name now, but it's one of the more recent Sam Harris podcasts on oh, state status. Yeah, well, I listen to him this morning. He's, he's my meditation guy every morning. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. his app's great as well. And I, I think actually the conversation is on the app. Um, okay. It's about status. And I think when you when you start to dig into the human drive for status, you kind of realize where some of that fear of failure is coming from Mm -hmm. um and you know the human desire for social validation and to be to be valued by others Mm. and it's 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 also coupled with this human human aspect of our psychology which is like it's never enough Mm -hmm. so you know like even if you come second (laughs) there's always this that other person who has more status than you they have more social value than you so it's failure to not be that top person then right because it's not enough for us to be second Mm -hmm. or it's not enough for us to climb a certain climbing grade um because the people who climb harder grades they are higher status they have more value right um, and this obviously it does it, it, that sounds a bit like crude almost, but obviously when that's such a huge driver in our psychology, and then we internalize all of that, mm-hmm. and then we put a lot of self pressure on ourselves then as well, and how then it's like becomes self worth exactly. Um, that you know what what's the point in my life? What's the point in my efforts if I don't have something to show for it? Yeah, because so all of that builds up to be to. to to equal in our heads okay not achieving that thing is a failure Mm -hmm. and what I try to do with the people I coach is to actually go okay well failure and success can mean different things so we have like a conventional idea of what failure is which is like coming last or not achieving the thing that you set out to do but why what about having more of like a mastery approach to success and failure and going okay, well, actually, I want to be a master in this sport. Um, How am I going to learn and progress? And if this goal is going to help me learn and progress, what if I actually focus on the process of completing that goal? Mm -hmm. And then even if I don't complete it for whatever reasons, I'm still one step along the line of like better mastering that sport, you know? And then you start to value the process rather than just the ends. Mm -hmm. And then you're less afraid to fail Mm -hmm. because failure means something different to you. Mm. Uh, well, listen, there is a hundred threads I need to pick on there. And then you said it <laughs> yeah. so well. Um, and have you come across Kath Bishop? Have you have you heard about her as an Olympic rower? No. I actually interviewed her a, a week ago before this, and she said exact mastery. She was all about mastery, yeah. all about getting so wrapped up in titles and success and status. And you said something interesting there about um a couple of things, hedonic treadmill, the, 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 the idea of always wanting more. You get that one thing, you get the dopamine hit, and all of a sudden it's, it's that dopamine wears off. Right, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And even if you do become number one in your field, it's like, okay, now the dopamine hit is to protect that number one status. It's like, it's, totally, it's, it's, yeah. it's just like never ending, isn't it? Um, and the yeah. one other thing- It's a bit like the like- chase of money as well, isn't it? You know, money equals status in our society and we never seem to have enough of that or material- objects as well and I think 
sports people think that they're not in that trap because they value things that are more meaningful or whatever but we can fall into that same chasing I think yeah yeah and with that that's that hedonic side of things you you continually the hedonic treadmill comes from like yeah the the, the business world about um you know kind of material things you get you get like your dream yeah. car and that dream car that feeling lasts for a month six weeks and then all of a sudden you always look at other cars and it's like and I think in sports it's very easy to fall into that trap and the conversation I'm always interested in is I think that's that can be a healthy thing to a certain degree because it gives you drive and motivation and and direction. But obviously, if it comes to the point where it's 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 mirroring back to your self-worth and the you know how you see yourself in society, like you know, what like are you a citizen like or not? It it becomes a really complex, interesting thing. And um one, again, a very quick side note. I'm not jumping around all over the place, but I'll bring it back in a sec. Um, the, 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 I always use the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. I don't know if you come across it, but um, one of the lines is, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, I'm just like, there it is. Mm-hmm. Like, that is like, yeah, yeah, no, that is great. <laughs> triumph and disaster are perceptions through a lens that you've constructed, you know, triumph to mm-hmm. one person is, is disaster to another person. And, and then it, it all comes back in my opinion to, to the, to the inner dialogue, the, the, the stories in our head. Um, and then the final thing was getting into a flow state. I think when, when, when you can have that, I suppose what you talked about reframing failure or reframing fear in a different way, it's like, okay, well then when I perform in whatever field I'm in, the outcome becomes so much less of a worry. It's going, okay, I've got this challenge in front of me and how I can unpack this challenge and actually enjoy the thrill of unpacking that rather than going, right, I need to get to that end point. Um, so, so do you work with people for getting into the flow state? Do you work with people about the inner voice and reframing? Do you know any, anything come to mind about those couple of subjects? Yeah, yeah, definitely work with people on both of those things. Um, yeah, just to just to say to your point there, um, that 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 reframing is really important. Um, but I think that underneath that, and this is like some of the deeper work that I do with people, is that you kind of really have to shift some of your beliefs. So it's like one thing to kind of reframe it in the moment, and it might help you a bit. Um, with that particular competition or race or whatever but if you don't believe that there's kind of value in mastery over the achievements in your life you know so like if when you imagine yourself as an old person and you look back and you go wow I like devoted myself to mastering this sport and I did pretty well with that like like you know like I'm kind of a master of squash or climbing or whatever and you know I'm not Bruce Lee or anything but like you know I I I put my efforts in and I had great experiences and I really valued my time doing that Mm. um or you look back and you go well what are the what's the list of achievements how many medals did I get how many hard climbs did I do what was the hardest grade that I did and if you see that that those achievements are the things that have defined are most important Mm -hmm. and kind of define what's valuable to you in your life it's going to be hard for you to have the right mind mastery mindset essentially and so the work that I do with people sometimes people get it straight away and they're just like okay now I need the tools and the reframing and the self-talk and stuff and some people are just like no because the, the problem is, is that from day one, for many of us, our society has told us that we're the sum of our achievements. Mm. And if we, if we don't achieve things, then we're just, we're just no one, you know, we're just not that worthwhile. And sometimes we have to kind of decondition, you know, what society has kind of forced us to believe, right? Um, and that's where some of the deeper work has to come in. And, and just on that, then, thing, sorry to interrupt your flow, but like that's just going back to Kath Bishop. She, she talks about the three minutes on the podium, you know, the three minutes on the podium. Mm. That is what society looks at, the, the, the news, the press and everything. And it's like it forgets everything else around that. And, and you know, we, we're then striving for those three minutes, but we may be living a very empty existence along the way. Like we don't have good relationships. We, we're continually distracted and we're just so like thinking of those mm-hmm. three minutes. And I really think that's quite a cool thing to kind of go, actually, are those three minutes the most important thing or not? And, and yeah, what I'm hearing you say is almost you've got to rewind it 
and you said it into your beliefs and go, right, this is, this is, this is my, my way I want to go about my business. If it's the three minutes on the podium, okay, that's maybe a different conversation, but how you rewind it to the mastery phase. Um, so yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And I think flow, flow actually slots right into this because flow is a moment by moment experience. You can be in flow and not win, or you can win and not be in flow. And it's way easier to access flow if you prioritize that experience rather than the outcome. And that's because when you prioritize that experience, you're more likely to be present in the moment than you are to be distracted by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that those three minutes on the podium. So even if you are the athlete who's like, well, yeah, actually, I just I just value the achievements more like that's just me mm-hmm. the problem is is you're so unlikely to actually achieve those things if you're only focused on those things because those things aren't the performance the podium's not the performance anymore it's after the performance so if you're in the performance and you're thinking about those three minutes on the podium you're not going to perform at your best so the mastery mindset is not just like a oh this is a philosophically like better way to live and your well-being is going to improve it's like no this actually is how you know this is a way to perform better as well and you're more likely to achieve your goals it's just you need to see your goals as at least going hand in hand with the uh, the process of mastery right it's like the, the the goals are there to facilitate the mastery um they're not the be and end all mm-hmm. and usually we have that intuition anyway because usually the goals that feel most important to us five years later you realize they're just stepping stones to bigger goals anyway right yeah. like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very rare that you're like oh yes I achieved my goal in this sport and now I've arrived and now I'm just going to give up and just do something else like no it's just the next goal um Exactly. And then what's cool about flow is like, you know, flow is the state that we get into when we generally perform our best. And when we prioritize our moment to moment experience, we're much more likely to get into flow. Yeah. And fear of failure is a huge distraction and barrier to flow. So for me, a lot of the coaching work I do, it's like accessing flow state more is kind of one of the outcomes of the coaching. But we might spend more time actually trying to remove some of the barriers to flow and actually focusing more on them than necessarily flow state itself. Yeah. Makes complete sense. And it just, I, I, you know, this is probably really relevant for you. I can just imagine and, you know, seeing some videos of you on, on those amazing rock faces, man, you have to be in that moment. Like if you're thinking about what's going to be like at the top of that rock face, you're probably going to be taking away from that moment, which could not, they might be life and death, but you know, it's, it's all about for you. I assume it's those little incremental marginal little movements and, and really staying in the moment. So that must really come into your climbing side of things. Does it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have to be present and you you also really have to manage your stress responses because if you you can be on a climb that's fairly easy for you, but if you really freak out, you can start to like actually endanger yourself, you know, because as yeah. soon as you're like over gripping, you're super tense, every move becomes super awkward. Um, you're much more likely to fall. <laughs> so okay. it's quite interesting, you know, the more scared you are, often the more um you put yourself in danger mm. which seems like a bit of a um evolutionary fail for our brain to uh, do that but of yeah, course exactly. our, our systems will like run from the lion you know um mm. and like uh not necessarily do a, a, a sport that requires so much balance and precision mm. so what what are your tools and again you can use climbing as an example to to get yourself away from that i don't know if you can call it self-sabotage but 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 when the stress response is kicking off and you know you need to be mindful and present again i'm thinking squash when people are are like panicking or any sport like oh, i'm right in the moment deer in headlights what tools do you use yeah so like in the moment tools like um breath uh for me like so so basically i kind of think of it as like what do I actually want to do to my levels of alertness? Because I mean, sometimes you want to ramp them up, like some forms of climbing that aren't that stressful where you actually just need high energy output. You actually might want to ramp up those alert alertness. So that's when I might do like short, uh, shallow breaths with like more of an emphasis on the inhale. 
and then to calm myself down and this is what I'll do before like a scary climb is a deeper slower breaths feeling the breath in my belly mm-hmm. um and then any also just like mindfulness tools you might call them anchoring tools basically tools that bring you into the present moment so it might be focusing on the sensations of breathing it might be <clears throat> i quite like listening to the sound of my breath okay so um whether that's like i like listening to that noise mm. um or if it's like a faster breath but like where i've got to like like switch on kind of before a harder sequence i might go and um and focus on that sound of my breath i might focus on like the way the rock feels underneath my skin nice um or like uh if if i'm in a place that's got like natural sounds i might listen to the the sounds around me as well Mm. um it might feel like uh the wind on my skin you know just just chew basically like actually connecting to your sensory feedback and mm-hmm. i think that that as a tool is really underestimated in sport because yes. if we really think about what it means to do sport well it, what it is is being completely connected to your sensory feedback processing processing that information as fast and efficiently as possible and then making decisions usually on a more subconscious like implicit level mm-hmm. because in most sports you do not have the 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 time to make a uh, more of those like explicit conscious choices right and and that's what we're doing in flow we're not you know the, these these things are happening way too fast and and the more and so you the, try, the more you try to think through that the more you get in your way the paralysis by analysis um thing is always totally yeah and that's what choking is in sport yeah. right and it's like when you see these footballers who like miss the goal by like a hundred meters or something and you're like obviously you know how to get the ball in the net like you you clearly have just succumbed to the pressure right because even I can get the ball closer to the net than that um uh so yeah just basically like being connected to your your senses is is kind of um what it means to do sport well um and so the better we can be connected and less in our overthinking minds mm-hmm. um the, the better we'll perform but also we're more likely to be able to control those stress responses as well mm. and let's reverse that for a sec because i think that's a really good thread we're on um that's the in the moment tools what about mm-hmm. the tools in the preparation phase you know the kind of the training you're doing in in the safe spaces whether it's I know journaling, visualizations, mindfulness, gratitude, all really important things. What type of tools do you recommend people can train with in the build up to that thing where you might need to kind of use those, those tools in the moment? Yeah. I mean, all those things, I mean, well, meditation is um, the, the sort of the, the safe space, uh, sort of little gym for the mind that basically just trains that attentional control because you can't shift attention to your senses or to the task at hand if you have poor attentional control and if you have a poor ability to notice when you're distracted and those two things are actually just what you train in meditation you know I think people um you know there's lots of um benefits and like great outcomes for meditation but if you're someone who doesn't really want to go down that sort of a deeper more spiritual um route in meditation at its most basic it is just training attentional control and noticing when you're lost in thought and that's just a mental muscle that requires practice so I think if you're serious about your sport, there's no re- real reason why you shouldn't be meditating. Like people say, oh, meditation's not for me, but you've probably just not found the right app. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you don't even need an app. You can literally just sit down, focus on your breathing. And every time you notice your mind wander, just come back to your breathing. Like it's really just that simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, th- I just don't, unless you've got some mental health problems that are really exacerbated, but through meditation, I don't see why um shouldn't do it it's obviously a hard habit to keep up don't get me wrong <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but um but yeah but that, I that's why it. i like um i think sam harris in particular is good because he brings almost like kind of a slight science side to it he kind of kind of tells you yeah. why and then he gives you like a really good like walk through introduction it's like ah i get it and you know like headspace is brilliant i like it but but there was something about sam i just resonated with and yeah in in, in yeah my, there's a whole bunch of meditations that are borrowed a little bit from sam's formula and kind of repackaged a little bit so yeah the, the mind yeah really is huge Mm. yeah totally yeah i recommend his app as well 
Um, and just just on what, that thread, sorry, can I just stay with that for a sec? Um, the whole idea about I just had the word distraction I wrote down here now because because you obviously talk about um, we're, we're training our mind. It's the gym of the mind where we're going, right? We're trying to train a lack of distraction. But the world we live in, everything is vying for our attention. You know, it's just literally the, the dopamine hits from social media and the validation of others. And so, yeah, meditation is 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 powerful. What, what's that Gandhi quote? It's something like, yeah, I've got like, you know, 40 meetings today. I've got the busiest day I can imagine. So now I need to meditate two hours rather than one hour. It's like, it's kind of, it's like that much of an important thing. So I'm trying to kind of go down the, the route of distraction. So when I say distraction, how, you know, any advice, tools, thoughts about how to quiet the distraction side of things? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I struggle with this. Um the same as everyone um you know i think there's all these little things you can do aren't there sort of like not having your instagram on the first screen of your phone and having the 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 reminder that comes up um but you know you, you can try to protect yourself from distraction but if you still have a mind that wants to be distracted you will be distracted you know um so yeah the the meditation i think is the only thing that's really helped me mm. notice when i'm distracted you know because yeah sure the instagram thing pops up but if you if you're not aware enough of what's happening in your mind you just click okay and you keep looking exactly. you know um so it's it's really about self awareness and 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 investing in your psychology, you know, I think the people who I work with who are like, oh no, like psychology is, is important. And my um, mindset and my, where my attention is, is something I need to pay attention to. I know that sounds weird, but um, those are the people I think who do manage it. Um, I also think, you know, and this feeds into what you asked before about tools and strategies, you know, actually just going on a bit of a journey with your own psychology, you know, so, and what that looks like for each of us will be different. Um, so like for some people it'll be journaling every day. For some people it will be talking to their friends about it mm-hmm. um, daily, weekly, whatever. For some people it will mean getting a coach. For some people it will mean doing an online course. For some people it will mean reading a book. For some people, it'll be meditation, you know, but basically just how much are you investing in yourself and your own mind rather than just busying through life at this epic pace without going, actually, what is the quality of my, my attentional control? How bad is it? And what can I do to, to help it? Because you can't, remove the distractions yeah as much as you think you can and you do all these tricks where you leave your phone out your room and you, you turn the notification those things are good mm-hmm. but you'll just you'll just find something else find it, exactly by. like like because will, willpower is a limited resource they say and and you know like you put that willpower into stopping it and you know it, it really does can crumble but on the other side there's um again you might, might be interested in this um cal newport wrote a book called deep work and it's all about mm-hmm. like in the modern world, we have lost the ability to focus. We've lost the ability. And, and he basically proposes that the ability to focus and stick to a task is going to be one of the most well-paid jobs in the future. And it's a really cool book because it basically, he asks you to kind of rewire your brain a little bit in this regard of deep work and, you know, little kind of things. It is like, right, I've got my, you know, an hour and 90 minutes everything's off. I'm on one task. I get into the reach and fail state. I get frustrated with that thing, but I'm going to lean into that thing that I'm not very good at rather than doing something I'm not good at. And then immediately getting the dopamine hit by checking your social media or kind of going and making a cup of tea to kind of relax and stuff. And there's a balance to be had, but um, yeah, deep, deep work I found is a very interesting way to look at it. Um, I had one question about maybe just going back a couple of steps. Um, Have you ever frozen on the rock face? Have you ever kind of completely, you know, kind of like panicked, frozen and just been like, oh my God, I I don't know what I'm doing here. Has that ever happened to you? Um, Not not completely. Maybe when I was a kid, I I, I, I imagine when I I was a kid, I did that a lot. I I've definitely got into a panic for sure. 
Um, you know, in climbing, we talk about these three zones, comfort zone, stretch zone, panic zone. Okay. And panic zone is when you basically, you can't manage your ex- experience anymore. You start ingraining fear, even potentially trauma. And it's basically just like a really not a useful place to be in. Um, and I've, yeah, I've definitely come, um, be, being in panicky states for sure, where actually my psychology is not helping, mm-hmm. you know, where actually I'm super tense and, um, very frantic looking everywhere for ways out, you know, and, yeah. um, but I don't know if I've like properly just frozen and not been able to move. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing then. And hopefully it lasts. <laughs> um, where, where do visualizations, uh, play a part in, in, in your, in your training with people, with yourself? Personally, I'm very big on visualizations, but not initially just the law of attraction type stuff, like actually kind of process driven visualizations. Does that play a part in your life? Yeah. So for me, I don't personally love visual visualization. I use visualization a lot for like rehearsing climbs. So in, so in climbing, we'll often project a climb, which means we, it's so hard for us that it might take us like a month or more to complete. And basically you kind of learn the movements on that climb a bit like a gymnastics routine and you'll rehearse those movements in your head. And so I definitely, um, do a lot of rehearsing of moves in climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not, that imaginative in my mind like visually like you know I'm not for example I find it difficult to draw like I can't really imagine pictures in my head and put it on a page and so for me you know and I've worked with coaches and they're trying to get me to visualize stuff and they're like what do you feel and and I'm just like this just isn't really working for me like I just I just don't I just lack that imagination I think Mm -hmm. but I know that it is really powerful for some people um but it's difficult for me as a coach because usually I coach things that I've tried and tested, tested myself, you know? So it's something that I don't actually use that much. I have to say. And it's new because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pairing up with um, a university doing a bit of a study around the app and the visualizations of the app, which is really cool. And, but they are, they are trying to yeah understand exactly characters, personality styles that, that do better with visual imagery, do better with certain mm. tools. And actually it's going to be a real cool study because we're going to take all the tools that are in the app and go like, right, so this type of character and personality, and we want to get like over a thousand people. So eventually we can get to the point of going, hey, right, if you, it's not just a questionnaire, but if you answer the question in a certain way, mm-hmm, we can mm-hmm. direct you towards what's going to be most impactful, like, you know, visual learners, audio, kinesthetic, whatever that may be, but actually quite, quite a lot deeper than that. So yeah, I think that's, 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 that sounds fun. cool. Yeah. Let me know. Um, let me give me some information on yeah. that. It sounds interesting. Yeah, it's gonna gonna probably be another six months um, that we're gonna do it. But yeah, it's the psychology lab that they've decided. Like, actually, there's some really good stuff here. But yeah, it's 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 a bit of a buffet table right now, and it's like oh, you kind of overwhelmed with choices. It's like okay, but like you know, can you not pigeon yourself in, but go right? There's um there's something there that that's going to be aligned to my character. So yeah, maybe, maybe just bringing back just a, I had like another one or two questions around fear. Um. I wrote this one down, fear of what other people think. I know we've maybe just touched on this a little bit. Um, and, and as we know, it's very prevalent in the world and society we live in. We've already mentioned some of this. Um, maybe I'm kind of going more along the, the, the social media angle here. But, you know, fear of what people think, um, you know, what, what, what comes to mind there? Yeah, I think it's, it's a deep social fear. Probably kind of um, the the deeper fear that's like one level down from that is probably fear of rejection. Um, you know, if people think that, that you're not very good, that you're not very valuable, then they reject you from the group, right? That's probably mm-hmm. like the the really scary fear. And, the, the, you know, the, there's really cool studies in neuroscience where the, it, the same part of the brain that processes physical pain also processes social pain. So when, you know, we actually have a broken heart or, you know, we've been rejected or something's happened to us socially that really hurts, it it is just actual pain, right? It feels a bit different, but it's, it is pain and we are scared of pain. We're scared of being hurt. And they've even shown that like um, basic over-the-counter painkillers can help with these social forms of pain. Oh, wow. um, so it's quite interesting. And I think we, we probably don't... Um, put enough attention on um you know how powerful these social hurts are mm-hmm. 
Um, what's interesting about fear of what other people think is that um, if you have like a tendency towards negativity and overthinking, it's very easy to imagine that people are thinking something that they aren't. <laughs> and I think that this is exacerbated by intro- introvert tendencies as well, because I think if you're an extrovert, you go up to people and you talk to people and you see that they're friendly and you see that they're nice. I am a natural introvert and I have just a... Um, I, I definitely veer on the side of fearful when it comes to new people, you know. I mean, I just have slight anxiety around around new people who I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for me to assume that they're thinking the worst. Um, and, you know, there's, there's things you can do to to help alleviate that. And I think one of the biggest things you can do is just going up and being friendly to people because at the end of the day people we actually have more of a preference to friendly good people than we do towards people who achieve and do well right um and so you know if you if you're in a performance and you're like oh I'm, I'm really scared this happens a lot in climbing gyms because everyone can see everyone else climbing and you're also up there on a wall you're on display right above the other people so this is real recipe for anxiety um but I think there's a few things that help one of them is just realizing that everyone else is probably too worried about what people think of them to even be thinking anything about you in the first (laughs) place, right? Because we're all so self-centered. And then the other thing is that people don't care if you're rubbish at something. They just, they, they more value you as a friendly person. And they think if you can talk to someone and be friendly, they, and, and also that people really value effort. So if you try hard, like when I see someone on like a problem in the climbing gym, that's just like so easy for me. If they're trying really hard, that's inspiring to me. And I'm like, well, good effort. Like, that's cool that you tried that hard, you know? Um, So I think there's that as well that you can, you can, you can tell yourself. Um, But yeah, it's pervasive for sure in sport. And I think that's where, you know, speaking with, with people like yourself and, and, and the, the people I'm really interested in at the moment, it's, it's changing that narrative of, of what uh, social constructs of, you know, all, all the things that we just spoke about going, actually, it's, it's okay not to be the best, but what else are you offering? Like, are you, are you, are you empathetic? Are you, are you, have you got altruism? Are you giving back? Are you putting full effort in? That for me is, is really, really interesting. And Or if you're just yourself as well, because people hate ingenuine people. I think it's probably the thing that we we like the least, right? Because ingenuine people, we can't trust. And trust is something that the the tribe really wants in their group, right? If you don't know if someone's telling the truth or not, that's not nice. So being yourself is just like the, the most likable thing and the easiest thing for you to do. <laughs> well, well said. I'm glad you said that. And there was one other thing that 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 you said that just flashed in my mind. Comparison is the thief of joy. I love that mm-hmm. statement. And I, I'm always trying to remind myself on because ultimately, can we look to run our own race? So often we're running other people's races and we're comparing. And like you said, you've seen people, oh my God, like look how good they are. And then you're having this inner narrative of, comparing comparison and um, comparisons and then that just takes the joy away from the moment you're in what you're trying to do what race you are running um and and that's probably one of the big messages in, in my coaching is going let's keep bringing us back to what are you what, what is your race let's run your race there's quite a famous picture of michael phelps you might have seen it and he's he's halfway out the water and butterfly and right in the next lane right next to him, just like a little bit behind his compatriots out the water but his compatriots looking at michael phelps and michael's just like that and it's a mm. great still image of going look look who's running their race in this moment i think that's a real cool way to look at it yeah no that's that is that is good yeah is it, and it just comes back to where's your attention Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if your attention is on others, it's not on your performance. You're not in the moment doing what you're supposed to be doing. So that's that's why it's so important to, like you say, run your own race because your attention has to be on the task at hand mm-hmm, totally and and uh, yeah i'm just loving the stuff you're saying about about um status and tribe and i've probably not thought too much about that uh, you know and that for me is going to get me to really think a lot after this and yeah mm-hmm. like how how we how we fit in and where we fit in and and yeah that's going to be really really big um do you have any tools for 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 nervousness for nervousness anxiety before you start i know you mentioned breathing maybe even mindfulness um we touched on a few of those but any other 
tool because because nerves is a big debilitator in in sports, isn't it? And, and I'm assuming massively in rock climbing. Um, what what about nerves? What, what what's in your mind with that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, one of the the best um, tools for nervousness is reframing. So, like, uh, I get a bit nervous before public speaking, and the way that I manage is manage it is I go, well, you know what? It's good that I'm nervous because it means. A, I'm probably going to do a bad talk because my I'm more alert. Um, I'm I'm my attention's more focused. Um, my senses are heightened. I'm I'm more engaged, but also it shows that I care about what I'm about to do, and I want to do things in my life that I care about. Right. So having that nervousness is just anticipation about something that you is meaningful to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the same with sport, right? You get nervous before a competition because you care about it and caring about something's cool. And those nerves will help you in the moment. Um, obviously, like really debilitating nervousness um, is a problem and it can't, it probably can't be solved with reframing. But that's when I think you need to do the deeper work of, okay, what's causing these nerves? And there's probably something underneath it, like fear of failure, fear of what other people think. And then the the work needs to happen on those issues, um, which we've already talked about. Mm. And yeah, that, the whole nerves thing, like like you said it really well there, it's, it's we, we're choosing to do something. We're choosing to go public speaking. We're choosing to play sport. And not that it invalidates the nerves, but if we can zoom out and go, actually, is this is this really nerves? Because Look, what, what about the person struggling to find food for themselves tonight? What about the person, you know, that, 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 that's like ducking from bullets? Like now we're talking about real, real nerves. And, and again, it's mm-hmm. not to invalidate your nerves you're having, but it's going, ah, I'm, I'm competing or doing something that I have a choice in, that I want to have a mastery mindset that I want to be better in. And if we can, again, zoom out, and I, I think it's um, Paul Sagan, The Little Blue Dot. There's a great YouTube video about we, we're living on this little blue dot, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we're going through this universe who knows why, who knows where it all started really. And it's kind of like, actually, if you zoom right out and you look at it from the helicopter view, do you know what? Nerves are fine, but it, if we can reframe them in a way, that's that's a really interesting one as well. Um, I well like- just, just one point on that is like the, the other tool that I use loads that we haven't talked about that's related to what you just said is gratitude. You know, gratitude is like this ointment that you can put on any kind of negativity, and just saying, I'm so grateful that I get to do this sport, like, or that I'm not injured right now, or that I found something in my life that I care about. Um, I, I just, I think gratitude is one of the most powerful tools, and I totally underestimated it for quite a few years, and it just works. It works so well with the people I coach and with myself personally as well. Mm. Do you journal? Are you a journaler? Not so much. No, I used to be. Um, mm. But um, I tend to just do a little gratitude exercise in my head. Nice, yeah. And I get, I get big fan written about gratitude and several blogs on it. And actually the science behind gratitude, which is really interesting as well, how, mm-hmm. yeah, what, what parts of, you know, chemicals are getting released and yeah, very big fan gratitude journaling. And, and then even just like a little, there, there's gratitude meditation, which I really like where you kind of, um, there's something called meta. I think Sam Harris is the meta yeah. one where you, you kind of, putting the love out into the world and then you kind mm-hmm. of self-love and out-love and I, I, those things are really powerful and you, you, you're yeah. quite into m- mindfulness is a big part of your world meditation mindfulness yes yeah it is yeah I've gone through phases in my life of kind of being more and more into it and you know doing deeper meditation I've done a few um 10-day silent retreat things um how were they how was that Oh, pretty hardcore, honestly. Like the the first one I did, I hadn't done any meditation wow. ever. Like I hadn't wow. even like sat still and closed my eyes and focused on my breath before I did the first one. And yeah, it was it was definitely one of the most hardcore, painful, emotional, wow. difficult experiences of my life. Yeah, oh, oh, um, and I was at. That. Sorry, what's that? Sorry, how old were you when you did that? Um, it was in 2015. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that's quite, that's quite young to do something like that. Usually you kind of find people do that in the later part of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, there was a real range of ages and 
people. I actually did it in India and um wow. yeah, it was really cool. And the other two retreats I've done were exactly the same ones, the, the Vipassana meditation retreats as, as taught by SN Goenka. And actually each one is just kind of exactly the same. The centers are a bit different and some centers are a bit more strict. This one in India was super strict. Like you couldn't meditate in your room, for example. You had to be in the hall 10 hours of the day. Um, yeah, you meditated 10 hours of the day and one hour watching theory. That is So you sat down. So for someone like me, and I didn't even really do any office work back then. I just climbed and went outside and stuff. Like it was rare for me to be on the computer for more than an hour at a time, right? So for me to sit down, I was also um, recovering from a shoulder operation. Mm-hmm. And I had um, unbelievable pain in my shoulder um, the whole time. Yeah, it was really full on. <laughs> would, you, would you do it again? I've done it twice again since, yes. yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> um, amazing. But I don't know. I think I would do a different one now, actually. I think that, um, you know, the Vipassana meditation is kind of a way of life. Like uh, you're supposed to do at least 40 minutes in the morning and 40 minutes again in the evening. And um, I just don't do that. You know, I just do not have the willpower to do that much. Um, so I think I would I would do a different one next time but I do love the Vipassana style of meditation I have a real affinity to it it's like the body scanning yeah okay and kind of trying to remain equanimous with the sensations you're feeling in your body and it's kind of like a microcosm for life right you try to remain that's training to try to remain equanimous for the other things that are happening in your life Mm-hmm. um so yeah it's pretty it's cool yeah. stuff for sure um, yeah wow that's that's some really deep cool stuff and yeah because i'm 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 considering my next phase of that whether it's a retreat or that big immerse thing so yeah i was kind of got a bit curious there um listen <laughs> i've got a couple more questions you've been really kind so far i don't want to don't abuse your time too much but um i always like to ask this question what advice would you have given your younger self knowing what you know now and knowing what you've learned along the way mm. Yeah, maybe I just, well, I don't know. I, don't, I honestly don't really know because I don't really have any regrets. Like, it's, I feel it's, like, it's, you know, like awesome. may, maybe just to have slowed down a bit and been a bit calmer and maybe paid attention to my psychology sooner. Okay. Maybe. But that, that's yeah. good because some people have turned around and said, no, like every single thing that I've done in the past has led me to this moment and I'm, I'm happy with this moment. So, you know, some people are like, oh, yeah, like these few, or it's a famous statement of like, you know, uh, you know, something along the lines of I, 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 you know, all the mistakes I've made in life, I only wish I'd done them sooner and quicker. You know, like I, I appreciate every yeah. mistake I've done, but only if I'd just done them quicker. I quite like that one as well. Um, and listen, in closing, Hazel, I think it would be quite remiss of me to maybe um, leave out kind of the question about um, this incredible trip you did to Greenland quite recently with um, Alex Honnold. Um, could you explain what this was? Um, I've read all about it, seen some stuff about it. It looks amazing. And what were some of the highs and lows of of this incredible trip that you both did? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how, like how succinctly I can talk about this <laughs> trip because it was a mega six-week um, <laughs> trip. Yeah, so it was sort of um, it, it was about climate science and also uh, adventure. And we we climbed two big walls and we travelled up a glacier and across an ice cap. And we we did we collected ground data along the way for climate change. Um, which was really interesting because I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not a scientist. I don't know anything about this stuff. And um, the scientist on the team, Heidi, was absolutely amazing. And um, yeah, we climbed, we climbed two new walls as well. Mm-hmm. And the final wall was very scary because there was a lot of loose rock. Okay. Um, and we also filmed the whole thing. Yes. And um, I think that if you, yeah, if you've not been involved in a film before, it's hard to to explain like the the challenge that that adds you know psychologically and logistically and um yeah it was it was a tough trip but it was really cool I mean and it's just such an amazing part of the world like mm-hmm. so beautiful mm-hmm. um so yeah and then there'll be a doc three-part documentary series about it coming out I think next spring 
Awesome. Oh man. And again, anyone who hasn't read it, like, yeah, just, if you just Google your name and Alex's name and it'll come up and there's some really, really deep stuff there. And, and, um, you know, obviously Alex is pretty famous from the free solo stuff. Um, but it sounds like you do a lot of work with him. Is, is, is there, is there quite a, like a, like a business relationship going on there? Like, like how does it, was it just like a friend? Like you just jump on and do some stuff together. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely not a business thing. It's just, um, you know, you te- team up for these trips. Yeah, we climbed quite a lot together when I was younger. And then um, the last five or so years, we've climbed a bit less together. I switched sponsors. And unfortunately, in climbing, you tend to climb with the same, oh, okay. um, the people who are sponsored by the same brands. We have we still have um, Black Diamond and Last Sportiva in common, but he's North Face and I'm Black Diamond for apparel. So I think that's why a lot of the trips that we've done haven't aligned as well. Um, but, um, yeah, no, we just, um, yeah, we just like to climb together and we, we, we pair up occasionally. Yes. Um, listen, Hazel, you've been an absolute star. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. We've talked so many cool subjects, so many rabbit holes, so many different things. Um, where can people find you if they would like to follow you or or kind of like look at your work? I know strong mind's a big thing, but do you want to give a shout out to your, your channels and, and where people can kind of look after you or look for you? Yeah, so um, I'm on Instagram at Hazel underscore Findlay. Uh, it's F-I-N-D-L-A-Y. Um, if you want to more about the kind of mental training stuff, um, we have strongmind.climbing on Instagram and we also have strongmindclimbing.com. Um, and yeah, the Instagram, you know, even if you're not a climber, there's probably a lot of, of stuff on there that you can relate to. You know, you just insert whatever sport that you do yeah. <laughs> or or, or not even a sport, right? I mean, this this is what's cool about all this stuff, right? It's so transferable. Like you're you're into squash, and um, we've just had this whole conversation without really getting confused at all, right? So, um, that's what's cool about it for sure. Yeah. Amazing. And um, anything big on the horizon in the next few months, year or so? What, what what's what's the big stuff happening in your life? Uh, a lot of the big stuff's actually to do with the business. Strong Mind. We're going to start a membership. Um, a program for people uh, it's probably going to start with climbers but we'll hopefully um broaden it out and um yeah basically just working on that you know trying to to grow um uh, more interest in psychology and sports psychology and uh, mental training yeah well, good luck. I'll be following that because that's definitely my my bag and I, I love all that stuff. So really good luck with growing that business. Hazel, thank you so much today. Really appreciate it and um, have a good rest of your day. Yeah, and you. Thanks so much.